Hello, friends, and welcome to Coffee and Beer Podcast. I'm Nick Penizzato, your host here, as always, with the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, good morning. How are you today? I'm a little bit jet-lagged today. I was on the road all day yesterday, driving up to our place in New York. So I, it was an early morning, 10 o'clock arrival time, walked the property with a county forester, and then picked up my son from college and brought him home for break. So it was a lot of time in the saddle yesterday. Well, we will battle through it as we always do. We seem to have these times when these things come up and I want to revisit your the visit with the forester yesterday. Uh, but real quick, I want to tell our guests, or excuse me, tell our, our listeners, today's guest is going to be Mark Boardman. He is with Vortex Optics. Uh, very, He's been with them for, for a number of years, very knowledgeable on optics at just about every level. And we're going to get into choosing optics and even uh, hopefully be able to pick his brain for some expert, expert advice. And it's certainly an area that I could use some help with uh, for sure. So, and also because of that, our show sponsor, of course, it makes sense that they will, it'll also be Vortex Optics. And we're going to talk a ton about Vortex Optics during the show. So I'm not going to give you a long commercial here other than to say they are an NDA sponsor level supporter, which means they're among the big dogs. When you go onto our website and see who supports us and you see the big logos at the top, uh, those not surprisingly correspond to who writes the bigger checks. So uh, there are bigger, bigger supporters. Uh, they're among the top and we certainly appreciate uh, the relationship that we have with Vortex Optics. I also, uh, I want to remind people and I'm not even sure if it's a reminder, maybe I'm announcing this on this show, at least for the first time. Uh, I have hard, sometimes have trouble keeping things in their compartments. So we do this show and I remember, I think I remember what we talk about. And then throughout the day, we're doing all the other business to the organization. And I'm talking about it in five other meetings and I can't remember or keep straight where I talked about it. So maybe you're hearing about this for the first time as the doctor is laughing in his seat. Uh, I can see him on the screen laughing at me, which is nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, anyway, NDA Giving Day. It's our very first one. It's coming up on May 11th. And this is your opportunity, if you're already somebody that supports NDA, to get your gift matched. And in this case, up to $50,000. We have had a donor step forward and say, listen, you hold a giving day, I'm going to match the first 50000 that comes in. So if you're someone that gives, uh, sends us a check for 20 bucks every year, it's going to be 40 and so this is a really great opportunity and it's our first ever giving day. So uh, we're excited to do this and looking for uh, just a really great day for NDA. And, and people sometimes forget because they, they'll say things to me like, well, you guys put out so much great information for free. I love it. And I just sort of laugh. I say, well, it is sort of free. It's like free to you, but um it's, there's a cost to it, obviously. And so we are a nonprofit organization that relies on uh, your generosity, grants, projects, other things like that to keep us funded. So Giving Day is, is going to be very important to us. So please pay attention for more information on that. Another reminder, Ask NDA Anything. That is going to be next show. So if you have questions for NDA and you can literally ask us anything, Matter of fact, that the question doesn't even have to be for me, doesn't have to be for the doctor. If you have a question that you want to ask Lindsay Thomas, then we'll get Lindsay to answer it. If you have a question that you want to have 
Brian Grossman answer. We'll get Brian to answer it and so on and so forth. So uh, it doesn't have to just be a question for the doctor or I, but ask NDA anything that will be next episode. So send those to Nick at DeerAssociation.com. Mike, before we get into the interview, I want to hear about how your walk with the Forester went yesterday. Well, because we haven't had a B-team story in a while, let's just go ahead and get that taken care of. Oh boy, here we go. So <laughs> that'll be good. <laughs> so basically I hadn't been up to camp all winter. I shut it down in December and we usually open it up about the 1st of April. And so I hadn't been up there and I was driving in that morning. So it was a four o'clock in the morning, wake up call and in the truck by 5.15, no later to make sure I was there by 10 o'clock. I had everything planned packed up, ready to go in the basement, right in front of the door so that I would have to trip over it and not forget it. One of the things I had in front of the door were my boots. And I got downstairs and I, I put water in the truck and I put my bag, change of clothes, et cetera, and so on. And at the last minute I decided, you know what, my boots are waterproof and you know, four hour, four and a half hour drive. I said, I'm just going to slip on some sneakers and then put my boots on when I get there. So I slipped on my sneakers, moved my boots out of the way, and everyone can probably tell where this is going. Mm. I was 10 minutes from camp, and I thought, okay, well, if I could beat the forester there, I'll jump, you know, jump inside, check and see how everything looks, throw my boots on. And then all of a sudden, that wave hits you where you get that tingling and you break into a cold sweat. And I start cranking my neck around to look into the back seat on the floor. And I'm like, I don't see my boots. I don't see my boots. And then it hit me. I said, I don't remember them loading. I don't remember loading them in the truck. And sure enough, I didn't. Now in the spring up in upstate New York, there's a lot of water and a lot of mud and a lot of ick. And luckily the only saving grace was that I have a pair of sneakers that I keep there for when I'm up there in the summer mowing grass. And so I had two pairs of sneakers. So I went on a forest walk in a a muddy spring forest in the, the Finger Lake region of New York in a pair of sneakers yesterday. Luckily it was in the 60s. It wasn't in the 20s or 30s. So Needless to say, I B-teamed that, and we've had a nice little walk with soggy, wet shoes and wet socks, but I just put a smile on my face and kept trucking away and just realized that you should never deviate from your plan. And everyone wonders, and you kind of make fun of me about me being so meticulous about my planning. That's why, because if I even deviate from my plan, the wheels are coming off the cart. Well, I got to say, this is a bonus folks. We, I didn't know we would have a B team story this morning, although I should have just assumed, you know, two weeks have gone by. So something we've done something stupid. I, you know, I can only somewhat laugh though, because I have so many, I forgot my boots kind of stories from over the years that it just happens. Right. And I'm also one of these guys that I do this with my glasses all the time. I'll say, I'm going to put them in a place where I know they'll be. And then inevitably I don't do that or I forget the other items, you know, oh, if I just put this here, I can't forget it. And so the story of you just moving your boots to the side and then not remembering them is a, is a good one. And so that's, that's a good one. But so once you got yourself pulled together, did you actually accomplish something up there? We did actually. Um, it was a forester for the County that we own our property in and he was uh, very complimentary. The, the woods, the trees themselves have been taken care of very well. We've, we're not high graded. We actually have some very, very old seed trees in there. We have trees that are approaching, 
time to harvest. Um, he was very complimentary to me. Thank you to the NDA and the Deer Steward programs and all of your free content that you just talked about in, in regards to him. He's walked with hundreds and thousands of people in his career so far. And he said that he said, I'm surprised. He says, you're rather well-versed and you have a pretty good handle on the different diversity and the thought process moving forward. He says, uh, I'm pretty confident that whatever plan we put together, you're going to be able to follow it through. So uh, compliment to NDA and all of your good quote unquote air quotes, free information. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what we want. And that's exciting. So you're well on your way there. And as long as he's not asking you for boot advice, uh, things should be good up there. So all right. I will have to say the look on his face was, was hilarious. I said, yeah. I think I've forgotten my boots. And he looked at me and he's like, oh my God, this guy is a complete and total wing nut. At least you told him that up front though, because he's probably, he, you're coming up there and, and he sees you in tennis shoes. And if you don't say anything, he's automatically making a judgment, right? He's like, he is. All right, this guy has no <laughs> chance of following this plan, but we'll play along. All right. Hey, before we cause any more damage here, let's go ahead and get into our interview. Um, this is going to be a good one. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a bunch here myself as someone that is not a seasoned optics user, especially when it comes to things like rifle scopes, but we're going to cover the full gamut here. So let's go ahead and, and bring in our guest. I want to welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Boardman. He's the director of marketing at Vortex Optics. Vortex has been a great partner of the National Deer Association and frankly, a bunch of other organizations that they give back to on a conservation front. So we certainly appreciate that. And, you know, Mark, as I'm bringing you in here, I noticed that you've been on a ton of podcasts. So you are a seasons pro and being on podcasts, I can't even tell you how many I saw that you were on. So we appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I got to ask you, how many podcasts do you think you've been on in the most uh, in recent years? You know, I, I mean, really fortunate, for, you know, at least at least a handful. Right. And then, you know, I guess particularly with uh, the podcast that we do internally here in house at Vortex, the Vortex Nation, Vortex Nation podcast, a shameless plug there, uh, a couple hundred on that side of the house. But uh, but yeah, man, they're they're always fun and they're just such a great opportunity Um to chat with like-minded folks, to chat with people, uh, I guess, about uh, on topics that uh, personally passionate about, which makes it really easy. And then um, I just love the platform. You know, I utilize it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm a student, student of hunting. I love, I love to hunt, you know, that's probably, you know, my, at my core and my major passion in life. And as you guys know, I don't think we can ever stop learning. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a consumer of many, many hunting and, and shooting podcasts. That's for sure. So. Yeah, that goes for the doctor and I as well. Anytime we step in or jump into each other's trucks, it seems like one of us has a podcast on and even sitting here at work, I'll be working on something and I'll have something playing in the background. So you're right. We love that format as well. And so tell us a little bit about you and in your role at Vortex. Tell us, tell us about your hunting exploits. So yeah, uh, born and raised Washington state. So I'm kind of from, from the West coast, uh, side of things, uh, had a couple really cool outdoor retail jobs there when I got out of college. You know, I always say when I got out of college, I mean, I, I had a degree that, you know, actually I ended up using, but where my passion was, was, you know, definitely on, on the outdoors and hunting and fishing and shooting. So I uh, knew that I wanted to pursue a career that, 
you know, married those two things up. So like I said, I had a, had a couple of really cool uh, outdoor retail jobs. One was actually an Orvis fly shop. Another one was uh, a really cool outdoor retailer in downtown Seattle called Outdoor Emporium, which for me growing up was like just this iconic, really cool retail store. It was almost like a, you know, they had a, a hunt fish department, uh, marine. So all the, all the, you know, really, if you, if you needed something, you could get it there. Um, went from there, migrated east, never thought I'd leave the coast and uh, went to work for Cabela's. So I was at their HQ for about seven years, a uh, number of years as a copywriter. Uh, and then uh, finished up in the in the marketing brand management department, uh, uh, doing media relations, and that's kind of uh, when I transitioned out of um, Cabela's. Uh, that's kind of what I started doing at at Vortex. So uh, so for a number of years, you know, and and when I started at Vortex, that was probably you know that was thirteen years ago. So. Um, we were a lot smaller company at the time. Definitely a very uh, 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 a very different vortex than what you might see today, but uh, equally awesome in, in different ways. And yeah, I mean that was just a really fun time to be at the company. You know, everybody wore a million hats. So yeah, I was doing uh, you know marketing, media relations, you know media planning, media buying, copywriting. You know, kind of all the stuff that goes along with it. And uh, over time, we grew and we've been able to specialize as a company, which has given us the liberty to really branch out and and accomplish uh, more in in all the varying capacities. From you know, which I'm not on the product development side of the house, but you know, product development, marketing, just just everything has been able to um, grow and improve exponentially over time as as we've grown. And so now I find myself, you know, you mentioned podcasts before, so I find myself. Um, really on, on the content side of the house. So, uh, doing, uh, you know, hosting our internal podcast and working on video projects and things like that. So that was, I was trying to try and give you the quick and dirty. I don't, I don't really know how quick and dirty that was, but, uh, when I spend a lot of my time talking, I guess that's what I do now. Well, yeah, you are the director of marketing. So I think that just goes hand in hand and no, that's great background. I think first of all, in this field, in this industry, there is a fair amount of bouncing around that happens, but uh, you have been with Vortex for quite a while. And to your point about Vortex being around a while, but really prominent lately, I remember really just over the last decade that Vortex has really just exploded. And so your presence is being felt out there. I see you guys everywhere and that's exciting. And uh, I, I was just in your home state here in Spokane a couple of weeks ago. And the best part was as soon as we got out of the airport, there were some mule deer there feeding and a little bit further, there was a flock of turkeys. So it's a beautiful state. So I could see where you, you could uh, make it feel right at home there. You, you got to like it. And I should I should back up a little bit. So I'm not I'm not the official uh, director of marketing, but I have been in the marketing department, you know, throughout that entire 13 years. So I guess I don't want to uh, I don't want any uh, fake news out there, I guess, but, uh, but still, I mean, definitely uh, coordinate and work with, you know, the entire team here for sure. So, yeah. I appreciate but, and, that. And you mentioned, uh, yeah, the Washington, uh, definitely really cool landscape. You know, I guess the, the, uh, it's, uh, so diverse out there as far as from the ocean to, you know, rivers, mountains, high desert, rainforest, you kind of, you kind of get it all there. So that's one thing that I, think I was able to take with me was the diversity of pursuits you could do there. And I think that really sparked a, a hunting passion in me that, you know, was not so singular. Like I'm not just a deer guy. In fact, in some ways it's probably detrimental to like how good of a deer hunter I 
could be because I'm like, oh yeah, let's hunt deer, let's hunt elk, let's hunt bears, let's hunt waterfowl, predators. But at the same time, uh, I think that helps you become an overall like better outdoorsman some in some ways as well. Speaking of becoming better outdoorsmen, and we talked about learning from podcasts, the doctor and I certainly do that. So we're hoping to learn something here. So no pressure. I want to jump right into it. So your expertise, obviously, there is going to be optics. And so I want to go through the different categories and leave our listeners with a real uh, sort of how-to guide on, on how to select optics or even how to use them properly. And let's just start off with binoculars. So uh, the doctor and I, we're in the Eastern United States, so we have one type of setting. And then, of course, uh, there, there's the Western United States, which is completely different. So break those two down for us, if you will, in terms of binoculars. Where, where would you point sportsmen on each side of the country? You know, w- one thing, you know, talking about the region that you guys are in, or actually, you know, similar to the region that we're in, uh, you know, uh, you're not looking at those vast uh, distances like you might get out West. You know, you're not, uh, it's not like you're uh, on a tripod for hours glassing for coos deer or things like that. And I think um, number one, I I think some folks say, well, I'm not looking that far. Maybe, maybe I don't need a set of binoculars. Maybe I can get away without them. And and it's like, I I know I sit in my vortex chair here and I'm like, uh, you know, we're in the business of selling optics, but I think you are really selling your hunting and outdoor experience short if you if you don't think you need a set of binoculars, because I, I firmly believe that you do. Maybe not to the extent that a person out west does, though. So another thing I think we think of as human beings, I think it's natural to think, oh, more is better, right? So, um, you know, we'll quickly go over, you know, I guess the configurations uh of binoculars, but you, you buy the numbers, like you'll hear like eight by 42, eight by 50, 10 by 42, 10 by 50. That first number in the equation, if you will, is going to denote, and I know you guys know this, uh, you know, the power of the binoculars. So that's going to magnify the image 10 times what your normal eye would see if it's a, if it's a 10 by 42, you know, same with an eight, it's going to magnify, uh, the image eight times, uh, in more densely vegetated areas like the Midwest or where you guys are at, less magnification can definitely be an advantage. You know, you're generally going to, uh, you're going to gain uh, a large, uh, uh, you'll have a, a larger exit pupil, right? So you're going to get a little bit, all things being equal, right? You're going to have a better light gathering performance. Um, generally a, a little bit wider field of view. Right. So that's good. That's going to be uh, definitely a, a plus there. And uh, so I guess that's that's like if it was me and I was hunting out east, I would go with like probably like an eight by 42 or an eight by 50. That said, if I was looking for like a, an all around binocular, like if I was like, well, I'm going to hunt out east, out, out east, but I, I do go out west periodically or I plan on going out west. I'll be going out west in the future. I think it's tough to beat a 10 power binocular, you know, and I say that also, I guess, uh, like full disclosure, I generally also gravitate a little bit more towards more magnification. So you'll find folks, uh, one of my, uh, you know, counterparts here, Ryan Muckenhern, he kind of shades the other way, very good hunter, very, very accomplished hunter, but he'll go into some more open landscapes and, and uh, every time he'll have less magnification than I do. And that goes, for his rifle scope, his binocular, everything. He just, 
he just shades that way. So some of it comes down to personal preference, but I do feel like for an all around, it's tough to beat, you know, a 10 power binocular. That's just kind of like that to me, that very sweet uh, middle ground of magnification, but also, you know, you're getting optimal light gathering, um, you know, with a 42 or 50 millimeter objective. So, and you, and you see, by the way, a ton of eight by 42s around here, this part of the world. Uh, so I, I get that. That's obviously a very popular one. Uh, let's go ahead and switch over then from binoculars to spotting scopes. And this is an area where I, I feel like a lot of people, I don't want to say they're lost, but they just don't know a ton about spotting scope and their, their intuition is, okay, I want a spotting scope because I want to see forever. And so they automatically go to something that has that huge draw power. So what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I'd, I'd say the, the landscape and even the critter that you're going to be chasing is going to dictate, number one, if you need a spotting scope, and then number two, maybe which one you go with. Um, you know, if I, and also how, I guess, you know, discriminating of a hunter are you in regard to, uh, you know, the, the age class of animal that you're pursuing? Are you just trying to kill a buck? Are you just trying to kill a bull or are you, you know, the type of person that's going to be like, Hey, I'm super into this. I've got the time. Maybe I burn a lot of points on a tag. Maybe I got, you know, 12, 15, 20 years into a mule deer tag or something like that. And you're like, yeah, maybe you want to be, you know, trying to like decide like, Oh, is that a 170 class buck? Is that 180 class buck? So all those factors are going to come into play. But um, one thing, one thing I'd say, I think, a lot of folks do, they go, well, I'm going on this big hunt. Like I need a spotting scope. And I'd say you probably do, but you might not. Uh, I would say for a lot of folks, a high powered set of binoculars in the 12, 15 or 18 power magnification could even be a, a bigger asset. Right. So I'd, I'd look, I'd potentially look there first and and to uh optimize the performance of those those higher power binoculars that's where you start to get into tripod glassing which i say i've said it before i've said it a million times but my first coos deer hunt in arizona literally changed like how i look at glassing and really changed how i hunt you know western big game like I used to not carry a tripod unless I was carrying a spotting scope. Now I find myself reaching for a tripod and a higher power set of binoculars more often than not. So um, I wouldn't hesitate to do that. And then I'd say also, again, like we talked about before, I think oftentimes folks are like, oh, bigger is better. So, man, if I can get 60 power magnification on that top end, I definitely need that. Which you might. You very well might, depending on the landscape and how and how you're glassing with that spotting scope. But um, you might not, and it's possible you still need a spotting scope, but you're going to benefit from having a lower end, right? So we have spotting scopes, for example, you know, that, that might be like a 16 to 48, right? And you're like, oh, you know, it doesn't go up to 60, but it goes down to 16. So I've been on hunts where I've had both side by side where I actually thought that I was like, oh man, I, I, you know, uh, I need the 22 to 60, right? Which has a, a low power of 22. Well, I found myself needing the spotting scope for some of those closer ranges, but having the low end of 16 
was more beneficial than the high end of 60 because a lot of spotting scopes, like I said, you, you can't, I don't want to diminish what magnification, what magnification can do for you, but a lot of spotting scopes spend their life between that 20 and 40, you know, magnification, that 16 and 40 magnification. So that's, that's where you're going to spend most of your time. Um, so you may want to think about that. There, there could be times where that, that isn't enough magnifications. You know, sometimes you're, you're, you're glass and mountains that are, you know, uh, a lot further away. You're trying to uh, inspect something uh, with uh, great detail. So I guess before jumping into it, I guess a person just really needs to evaluate where they're going to be hunting and how they're going to be hunting. All right, Mark, so let's change directions here and let's talk about rifle scopes. So first and foremost, uh, why don't you give us just a really good, based on your opinion, all around rifle scope, and then give us maybe a, like a specialty rifle scope of your preference and then why you'd use it, what you'd use it for. So in our lineup, uh, bang for the buck, performance, optical quality, durability, uh, it's tough for me not to recommend the Viper HS. Uh, it, to me, it's just that sweet kind of upper middle ground of price and performance. Uh, they're, they, they perform exceptionally well. I've used those scopes on, you know, everything from, like I said, from, from coos deer to, uh, to elk hunts, to uh, alpine deer hunts. They just, they just really, really get it done. They don't kill a person in their pocket. Uh, they're bulletproof, they track super true, and there's a, you know, a range of models to suit a hunter's needs. You know, if, if you're, I'd say like, you know, uh, you know, you're like, hey man, I'm, I'm out east, I'm in the Midwest, I'm hunting primarily whitetails, you know, something in the two and a half to 10. So there's like a two and a half to 10, there's a four to 16, there's, um, uh, and then there's a four to 16 HSLR version. So that LR stands for long range. So it's going to be essentially identical to that four to 16, but it's going to have a capped windage turret and an exposed elevation turret for dialing for the person who wants to go through the uh, process of getting their ballistic data and, and dialing uh, their elevation turret to compensate uh, for drop at extended ranges. So uh, I, I love that. I mean, and it's really hard for me not to talk positively about really all the series, you know, you, you go a tier below that, you get into the Diamondback series, phenomenal. Again, a lot of those same attributes, bang for the buck, tough to beat the Diamondback series. And then, you know, real close behind and, and no slouchy about the Crossfire series. So I'd, you know, make that decision on, on your needs as well as your budget. Cause I mean, uh, we're all human beings. We all have jobs. We all have budgets. Um, I don't think a, a person's, you know, not going to be able to get done what they want to get done. Uh, with really any of them, but that, that Viper HS, I mean, that definitely holds a, 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 a sweet spot in my heart for sure. All right. I got to mention this. You'll probably laugh at this Mark, but, uh, I tend to take my squirrel hunting very seriously. And so I got a new air gun and I put a Viper on the air gun. So <laughs> it's, uh, might, might be a little overkill for squirrels, but I got to tell you, when I look through that thing, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, it's outstanding for what I need to use it for. That's awesome. Which, uh, which one did you get? You know, I was afraid you'd ask that. 
And so uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I just know it was the Viper. Uh, and it's not, obviously I didn't get too crazy with it because it is just going on an air gun. It's not the same yeah. thing I would have picked for my deer rifle, but um, I, I can't tell you the specific model, but I know I really liked it when I put it on and uh, it's working out great so far. Yeah, I'd, I'd venture to guess, I'd venture to guess that it's the the two and a half to 10. And I think, yeah, it's going to perform uh, famously. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, it's almost like, I think maybe at one time it was true, but I'd say it's definitely not true today. People will be like, oh, you can't put a regular rifle scope on an air gun. It's got a different recoil impulse. It's not going to, uh, the rifle scope actually won't hold up to that. That rifle scope's going to do just fine. Any of our rifle scopes are going to do just fine on an air gun or a rimfire or, or whatever, what have you, you know, where a person might, um, want to make special considerations for an air gun or uh, like a 22 rim fire is just really having an adjustable parallax potentially depending on the model of the scope so they can dial that parallax down you know to uh those lower ranges um as far as like you know 10 20 30 40 50 yards whatever um most of your i'd say most of your general hunting scopes unless they have a, a rim fire designation on, on them uh, the parallax is going to be set at a hundred yards. So just something to, something to think about, something to be mindful of. You can certainly use that scope on, on a, on a rim fire. Uh, but the parallax, you know, might not necessarily be set optimally for your general rim fire ranges at which, at which you're shooting. So it doesn't really have to do like in our scope, like we've got a couple scopes that are designated rim fire, right? It doesn't have to do with their construction necessarily, um, or, or the recoil impulse, of how a 22 might affect it. It's just that the parallax is set at 50 yards instead of hundred yards. So um, something to note there. And, I, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I feel like kind of like that, that air gun thing is somewhat of a, of a, a wife's tale at this point, you know? It's funny you say that because when I was shopping for a scope, uh, I ran, I saw some of the chatter out there online and I didn't really buy into it. I thought this is a good quality scope. I'm going to buy here. And I found some others out there on forums that were also using your scopes on their air guns and didn't seem to have any problem. But, uh, but I'll keep you posted, though. I, I hope to put a lot of rounds through that thing, and we'll see. But uh, you know, another question, though, and this isn't about scopes themselves. This is just more of a tactical thing. One of the things is a, oh, let's see, despite having been a deer hunter for too many years that I don't even want to mention a lot, more than 30, um, I also am not a terribly experienced gun hunter especially as I, as I got older I shoot a lot of bows primarily and I will gun hunt but when I'm out there though I'm, I, I feel awkward about it it just doesn't feel the same and so when I'm sitting there I'm always playing around with my scope like what do I need to have this on do I need to have it on three power do I need to have it cranked up to nine power like how do you what do you do in those situations how do you go about just sort of setting that initial power understanding that any moment could pop up anything could pop up at any moment yeah again i i let the landscape dictate that um you know i oftentimes on my setups like i i have a scope in that three to 15 range four to 16 range i just i just kind of find that for you know hunting a lot of east west stuff that kind of service double duty there. Um, and then I let the, the landscape, you know, dictate where I keep my magnification. Um, uh, if it's dense vegetation, maybe I'm still hunting through some, through some thick stuff. I'll probably have it cranked down all the way to the low end, you know, three power, uh, four power, uh, 
if I'm kind of, you know, think, ah, oh, it's kind of like intermediate, you know, maybe I'm looking or I might have a close in shot, but I'm on, uh, you know, I've got some uh, in some edge type cover uh, where an opportunity might present itself uh, rather quickly, but you might get a little bit further shot, uh, you know, I'll go up to six. And then really aside from that, um, I'd say that's generally, those are the places where I keep my scope. And then after that, you know, maybe, maybe if I'm in a really open landscape, I'll leave it at, you know, eight power, something like that. But I'd say generally it's somewhere between three and six. That's where I leave it. And then if I need to crank it up, if I spot the game animal further out and I want to execute that shot and I need more magnification to do so, then I'll crank it up. Um, another thing that affords a hunter is you're going to have a wider field of view uh, on the low end. So target acquisition is going to be enhanced. And so you can get on that animal and you're like, yep, cool. Got him. Okay. Yep. I want a little bit more magnification. I'm going to crank it up, but you're already on the animal at that point. You know, you start getting up. If you start to try and find like an animal on say the top end of 15 power, or if you have a higher powered scope and you're on you know, 24 or 25, you're going to have a harder time locating that animal just because your field of view as you go up in magnification is going to shrink down. All right, so I'm going to jump in with a question just because this is something that I've had difficulty teaching people at times, whether it be younger persons or people that just are not familiar with shooting with a, a gun that has a scope on it, or even with binoculars, either way. I'd like, I'm just interested to hear your answer is that when you're trying to teach somebody either target or subject acquisition, so subject with binoculars or target with a, with a rifle scope, what tips do you give or what type of scripting do you use to help them to understand how to identify their target with their naked eye and then bring up the optic and at least have it as close to being within the field of view as it can be? You know, I mean, that, that can be tricky, right? And I think a lot of that comes with just experience and repetition and, and using the optics. On the rifle scope side, I'd, I'd say there's definitely more a person can do. And a lot of that goes with a setup fit of the rifle itself. You know, is the rifle a good fit for the stature of that person? And then also making sure that the rifle scope is set up for that person. So, you know, if, if you hand me your rifle, it's going to be set up for you and it might work just, just fantastically for you, but it may not be set for me. You know, you're wearing eyeglasses. I don't wear eyeglasses. You might have a different set of eye relief uh, or a different um, preference for eye relief, just depending on, on a variety of things, including uh, just, just the way you're built, maybe even how many um, layers of clothing that you generally have on when you're hunting, things like that. Um, rifle scopes have a diopter. You're, you're going to want to set that to your eye. And then when mounting the rifle scope, uh, it's just, it's just really, really critical that it's set up for the person who is going to be shooting. And so, um, in that process, I'd say one thing we do is move the rifle scope fore and aft on its highest magnification. And if a person can bring that rifle to their eye, acquire the first, the, uh, acquire the entire field of view on its highest magnification and it's comfortable and everything's feeling good and the scope isn't too close to their eye or too far away from their eye, um, that's going to help them 
throughout the entire zoom range. So if it works on the top end or near the top end, it's going to work for that person on the lower end. So I, um, that's kind of like a, definitely a, a tip and something that we do when we set up rifles here for ourselves and other people is make sure you're testing it on the top end. Cause it might look great on three power, right? Then you crank it up to 15. You're like, Oh, I can't find it. Oh, it's a little bit, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting it. And so, um, that'd be that'd be a good one and like i said some some of it just comes with experience and reps and and it's not always easy like hunting uh, dynamic situations things are things are moving you know it's not uh you don't have all the time in the world and of course you know uh uh at least i know for me my my blood pressure is rising and you're getting excited and trying to suppress that as best you can and, and try and make the best shot possible good i like the answer yep outstanding stuff here very helpful all right, so we are headed, actually some places have already started turkey season. And so turkey hunting and, and how we shoot at turkeys has changed a lot over the years. From I remember the first, time, first gun I had just had the old iron bead at the end, and a lot of people still use that, which is great. But it has become more sophisticated, and you guys have a full line of red dot style scopes so why don't you tell us about those, why you would prefer a red dot to just the old style, sort of the old school setup. And I, while, you, while you're thinking about your answer, I want to tell people, if you go right now to the Vortex website, Vortex, uh, uh, vortexoptics.com, one of the headers right now is a nice video you can see from the podcast talking about red dot turkey sites. So definitely check that out. I found it very informative, but uh, Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you now. Tell us about red dots and What's, what's great about them? Yeah, uh, boy, a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably like you guys, turkey hunted for a lot of years and crushed a lot of birds with, with a standard front bead. But as red dot technology has gotten better over time, as I guess, you know, technology, just like, you know, TVs or anything else, as it's become, I guess, you know, less expensive, to, to manufacture using those technologies, we're seeing the landscape change really on, on pistols as well as uh, shotguns for turkey hunting where you'd see like maybe like a few guys using, you know, a red dot on a pistol. Now it's becoming almost, I'd say the norm. And I think at, at some point it just, it is going to be the norm. We're seeing that same thing with turkey guns as well. So um, the level of precision that you can get with a red dot is is definitely going to be enhanced versus a standard front bead. Now, I don't want to diminish the effectiveness of a standard front bead because a lot of birds and a lot of stuff has been killed and people are, you know, fantastic shotgunners, hunters with a front bead. But a red dot affords you some definite advantages. So uh, one thing would be uh, alignment, right? Like even just the general alignment of the gun may not... <clears throat> Be absolutely perfect you know when you get that pattern so what a person can do with the red dot you actually can line those things up essentially so you get to sight in your shotgun so if uh you know you, you're pushing a load through your shotgun and uh you know it's like patterning to the left where perhaps before you might low line maybe i need to change my turkey load or you know what can i do here with the red dot if you've got a good you know concentric pattern you can just use your adjustments and, and move it where, wherever you need it to go. Um, they're parallax free, right? So 
when you have, and this is any red dot, any application, including shotguns for turkey hunting, uh, no matter where you are, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, with that sight picture, if you're, you know, canted a little bit, if you're in an awkward position, if the dot is on the thing that you want to shoot and you can see the dot that it's there, that's where your pattern is going to go. And I'd say this is particularly helpful for uh, hunters who we oftentimes find ourselves in potentially awkward positions. You know, maybe you're, you're bending a certain way. Maybe you have to, you know, kind of duck your head and get under some brush. Maybe you're wrapped around a tree a little bit and you may not have that, you know, super solid, you know, you bear down on the, on the shotgun cheek weld uh, that you'd love to have when you're turkey hunting. Uh, but as long as you can see that red dot and it's where you want that pattern to go, that's where it's going to go. And uh, you're talking about first time hunters or, or new hunters with um, subject acquisition. This is a nice plus for them as well, because that is something that you have to learn over time is really how to shoot that shotgun and essentially aim a shotgun with a front speed. And you're, you're certainly aiming with a red dot, but you don't have to have that, you know, perfectly consistent cheek weld and things of that nature. You know, if you're, um, I guess if, if your shooting position or your cheek weld is compromised in some fashion, like I said, if, if the dot's where you want it to go and you squeeze off a good shot, that's where that pattern's going to go. And as a public service right, message, sorry, sorry to interrupt oh, you, sorry, Doug. I was just thinking about this. Uh, always pattern your turkey gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we have plenty of stories that I, I am certainly proof that you can miss a turkey even with a red dot. Uh, and uh, I, I also want to mention, too, there are different styles of red dots. We're not going to get into them here, but I would encourage people to go to the Vortex website. So, for example, the one I have. I have one that's similar to the razor or the Viper or the Venom. That's kind of that open, which I like because I can sort of see the scene better. Now I will say, Mark, I, I have to correct this. It is not a vortex model. And that's probably why I missed that Turkey. So I need, I need to fix that number one, but anyway, we, uh, we pinpointed the problem. We pinpointed <laughs> the problem. It wasn't me, uh, <laughs> no, but, but, no. but definitely pattern, pattern your gun. Uh, sorry about that. Go ahead, doctor. You're up. So uh, to, try and kind of wrap this background because i was going to say something like he said like he said it wasn't him it, yeah it was him because i was actually there i purposely went on the other side of the road and walked into the uh, onto the mountain so that he could actually have that bird to himself and he wound up missing it so am i a little bit stung about that a little bit all right moving on so anyways um <laughs> moving we have on, our high quality maybe never <laughs> it doesn't seem like we've had this conversation a few times <laughs> but um but we have our high quality optics now. Mark, go ahead and give me your one or two top tips for optic care. How does someone, because we have them, let's take care of them. Absolutely. Super important and something you're just going to want to do to optimize the performance throughout the life of, of the optic. Uh, the fact of the matter is, whether you're hunting or shooting or, or doing tactical applications, we don't put our optics in the friendliest of environments. We've got these precision optical and mechanical instruments, and we're really putting them in horrible places and treating them horribly a lot of the time, right? Um, but I think some simple things that a person can do is carry a lens pin. It'll generally fit in your binocular harness. It doesn't add a lot of weight. You can keep it at the ready. And it's got, you know, essentially a lens pin if somebody isn't familiar. 
you know, on one side, there'll be a, an optics friendly brush. That's probably a little bit better than your t-shirt, which I know I've personally used quite a bit, uh, even still today in a pinch, uh, not recommended. I probably shouldn't even say that. And uh, so you'll have like a, a light brush on one end, and then you'll have kind of like a, a lens cleaning, a finer lens cleaning uh, tool on the other side. There's, I'm sure there's a, a name for it. And then, you know, you can have some solutions that you can add into the mix. Uh, you know, we have all these things at Vortex, but I'd say that'd be, that'd be my number one. You know, most of our optics are actually all of our optics are going to come with a lens cleaning cloth. It's a microfiber cloth. Um, you know, we have uh, the little, uh, you know, spud style ones. I keep one of those clipped to my binocular harness at all times now. And I think one of the biggest keys is bring it with you, keep it with you and keep it handy because chances are when you need to clean them off, uh, you're going to be in the field, you're going to be away from the house or things like that. And uh, if it's not handy, you're probably going to use something that's not necessarily optimal for cleaning, cleaning your lenses. Um, so yeah, a lens pen, a microfiber cloth, and like that little spuds thing, that's going to get you through, get you through a lot of situations for sure. As far as a process with that, kind of like start macro, go micro, right? If you've got a lot of debris on your lens, don't take that cloth and start going, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to clean it off, right? Because you're essentially going to be, you know, in some capacity, grinding that debris into the lens, potentially compromising the coating. So if it was a set of binoculars, I would uh, use, uh, and I was going to clean the object, objectives or really the, you know, the, the eyepiece lenses. I'd use gravity to my advantage. I would tip them up. I would close my eyes and I'd blow onto the lenses and kind of try and blow that major debris off, kind of get the big stuff off. Then I might take step two and go in with my, my, uh, the brush and just kind of brush that stuff off gingerly, get all the big stuff off. Once I kind of know I've got all that stuff off, then that's when I'm going to get into the claws and things like that. Perfect. That's what I like. I like, I like buying good stuff that helps me hunt a lot better and I like taking care of it. So I, I like those tips. Yeah. And I, I do want to back up to red dots turkey guns because I, I i didn't touch on something that i think is really super important and i mean i guess first i'll say the beauty and the fun of turkey hunting in my opinion right like i love calling them in close but today's modern shotguns and modern shot shells like you got like you know federal tss and things like that uh are capable capable of executing shots at extended range at extended ranges and that's definitely something whether it's, you know, bows, rifles, muzzleloaders, uh, shotguns, whatever. Uh, it's just uh, a lot of people are interested in, in extending their effective range. And a red dot will help you do that in that, let's say you have a, a turkey at maybe 60 yards or something like that. And you pull up your standard front feed. You're essentially going to be covering that entire bird, not allowing you to make a precise shot. With a red dot, like the Spark Solar, that's what I have on my shotgun, uh, you're going to essentially be able to see that entire bird. You're going to be able to hold exactly where you want to. You're going to know that you're holding exactly where you want to. Depending on your load, you may want to compensate a little bit for drop, you know, as, as gravity comes into play at some of those more extended ranges. So it's just going to give you that clean, that super clean kind of full field of view sight picture that you might not get with a red dot, you know, which becomes definitely more critical as you get out in distance. Well, I'm jealous that you have the spark solar because I've been on your website looking at it 
And uh, if I would just pick anything, that's the one I would pick. So how do you like that site? You know, I love it. I haven't had it on there for uh, an exceptional amount of time, but really, really digging it. Uh, looking forward to it, uh, to have running it uh, this season as well and just getting uh, hopefully a few more turkey hunts under my belt. But, you know, internally here, I'd say if a person is like, oh, man, um, I'm looking at putting a red dot on my turkey gun. I'd say that's, that's the fan favorite around here. You know, if I, mm-hmm. if I was going to play favorites at Vortex, most of the folks that are, well, pretty much everybody's running dots on their turkey guns these days, but um, you know, they're, they're hucking a spark solar on it. Uh, and it's just a really good unit as the name implies. I'll go into some of the features of it. It has a, a, a small solar panel on top and uh, it really doesn't change the form factor of the, of the dot at all. It's still very clean. It's still very compact. Uh, but what the solar panel gives you is an independent power source from the battery. So I think intuitively, a lot of people think like, oh yeah, the solar panel is going to charge the battery. It doesn't. And that's actually part of the beauty of the site is it's smart enough with the electronics. It's going to either use the solar power as the power source for the dot. And I'd say like the ambient light in the room that I'm in right now, more than enough light to keep that dot going. Uh, if it doesn't, if there isn't enough light, then it will use the battery power. But I mean, you're looking at in excess of 100,000 hours on average of runtime with the Spark Solar. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and really in the situations where I find myself using it, particularly for turkey hunting, if it's legal, if it's legal shooting hours, it's likely the dot is just going to be running off that uh, off of the ambient light around you really eliminating the worry like oh man is my dot going to shut off you know like when did i change the battery like you're you're likely you're going to be fine so it kind of you know takes that off your your mental plate of of worrying of you know something that could go wrong in the turkey woods well i was afraid you would say that but thank you Uh, (laughs) uh, i want to end with this so let's say hypothetically somebody didn't take care of their optic with with uh, vortex and they did something it became damaged or maybe it something it showed up with a defect or something i want to hear a little bit about the vip warranty which i think is exceptional yeah i mean customer our customers are at the core of everything we do at vortex and that goes from you know product development to uh you know to sales and and the our ultimate goal is we want to take care of our customer before you know, before the sale, make sure they're getting the right optic to suit their needs, you know, during and after. And that's that after part is really where that VIP warranty comes into play. Uh, uh, like we talked about before, it's uh, just making sure our customers are happy. Is, it's just at the core of really every decision that we do. So that VIP warranty, it's an unconditional, no fault, transferable lifetime warranty. There's no paperwork to fill out. Um, and so if a person ever does have an issue, whether it's something, you know, catastrophic that happened in the field, we get some definitely some wild stories from bears that got into camp to, uh, uh, you know, uh, my my brother ran over my spotting scope. Uh, it's covered. I mean, if you can get even the pieces of the optic back to us, you know, it's going to be covered under that warranty and we're going to repair or replace it. Well. I could easily see myself doing one of those things and the doctor I'm sure agrees <laughs> with that one. So, uh, Hey, we didn't even get a chance to get into it, but I just want to mention here, 
uh, folks that also I've mentioned also before, whenever Vortex has been listed as the sponsor on this show, that they also have a, a full line of apparel, which is really, really nice stuff. Uh, I have a bunch of it. I would say go to the Vortex website, again, vortexoptics.com and take a look at some of this, the lifestyle clothing they have. Uh, it's just really, really high quality stuff. And I love it. I wear it all the time. So check that out. And also I want to mention, and I've said this before, uh, Vortex is a great company at giving back. So they do support the National Deer Association, but they support a whole bunch of other groups too. So you can feel confident that when you spend money with Vortex, you're also helping to support the things that we all care about. And in our case, it's deer and deer hunting. And so uh, I want to thank you for that, Mark, and thank you for your time here. And if there's anything you want to add to that in closing, the floor is yours. No, I appreciate it. And, and I think you nailed it. And, you know, I've, I've, I guess the one thing that I would say, you know, I feel like I talked, uh, you know, a lot about me here, but Vortex is like so incredibly much bigger than that. And just the entire team here is, is super phenomenal uh, from, like I said, from the from sales to marketing, product development, shipping department. I mean, it really is just an amazing team of people who've got their head down, grinding constantly with that shared focus of, of serving our customers. It really is. It's not something we say. It, it truly is in our hearts. And that probably sounds like a little bit cheesy, but um, I mean, we, we, just, we, we know our customers are the lifeblood, our lifeblood of our company and we wouldn't be here without them. So uh, if a person does have uh, interest in our optics or questions about our optics, uh, you know, we are uh, active and accessible and available via via all of our social platforms. If you call in, you're gonna to talk to somebody. We've got a team of experts who, from precision rifle stuff, Eastern hunting, Western hunting, competition, USPSA, F-class, multi-gun, uh, archery. Uh, we'll answer some of the, we'll answer those questions if you got them if you, and we'll answer your optics questions. So there's just a really, really educated, well-versed staff um, and we want to help you. We want to help you uh, get the best optic to suit your needs and, and enjoy your optics related activities to their fullest potential. Well, check them out, folks. Vortexoptics.com. Also, uh, he mentioned social channels, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and they have a really fun TikTok account, too, that I spent some time on today So <laughs> and have some fun with that. So, uh, Mark, can't thank you enough for, for doing this again. We appreciate it. We appreciate your support. And uh, hey, good good luck out there this spring. Yeah, appreciate it. Good luck to you guys as well. And we appreciate all the support and all the hard work and everything that you guys are doing for deer out there and education. It's just it's phenomenal stuff. And so, um, yeah, great work and, and keep it up. Mike, as someone who's always struggled with optics, at least I feel like I struggle. I don't ever feel like I fully know what I'm doing or that I'm doing it right. That was really good. There were some great insights there. Um, I, I just, I took a, a lot of good information away from that. And especially when it comes to, to, to picking the right optics for the situation. Well, I, I always, and the reason I asked the question was about care is, as you well know, when I buy something, I, I intend to keep it for a long period of time because I'm very meticulous about the research that goes into buying it. And so I want to make sure that I'm taking care of it. And I think at least for me, I was very pleased with the information that was shared. And I hope that the listener out there could find some usefulness in that as well, because it's, you're right. In, in the heat of battle, if you get a little bit of dirt or a little bit of moisture on a lens, what do you do? You either just stick your glove in there and or you pull down your sleeve and you give it a wipe. And 
technically you're doing harm. And if you do that enough, you'll be buying new optics. So I, I like I like being able to take care of what I have. And I think that information is very useful. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked the question because we, we eventually got into warranty. And so obviously you want to try to take care of things the best you can, but then there are always those occasions where something happens where you just, you do something that you regret. I have been one to, and this is a, I'm going to tell on myself here, it's a terrible thing, but I'm, I'm one of these guys that leans my gun up against something. Like I'm going to lean my gun up against that tree. And how many times I've just bumped my scope or knocked, you know, the gun falls over and lands right on the scope and how easily uh, that could, you know, not only is that a, a stupid safety thing that I shouldn't be doing the other part. And, and, and if anybody's sitting here listening, they've never leaned their gun against a tree. They're, they're only, they're only kidding themselves. It happens. Right. But the point is accidents happen out there with equipment. And so, and, and I've, and frankly, I know people that have run over binoculars and scopes and things. And so that's where I thought that their warranty is so impressive because uh, they're even, they're sort of B team proof. Oh, the gauntlet has been laid down. Oh, so now we're, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, inevitably we're going to do something and, and it'll be another story on here. So anyway, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed that. I thought Mark was a great guest, very insightful. And I just, I love these shows where I'm really learning a lot. And that was one of them. Uh, hey, Mike, as you know, we've talked a little bit, but I placed a tree order. I've got some, so my situation is I have this, as you know, and this is more, I guess, for the listeners, I have a little section on my property that I call the homestead because there used to be an old home there. And there are some remnant apple trees from whenever those folks were there. And those trees are still producing really well, but they are toward the end of their lifespan. They're not looking so great. I cut a bunch of dead uh, sections off of one of them last year. And so I'm trying to put in some new some new trees, some younger trees to replace those ones. And uh, the doctor has helped me uh, think through that a little bit. But anyway, I did finally put an order in, Mike, and I've got a few uh, sort of, I guess I call them eating apple sized trees coming in. And I've got some uh, three crab apple trees coming as well. So I'm excited to get those in the ground. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a labor of love when you're playing a tree because it's such a long-term investment. And you've, we've talked, and so you've actually ordered the appropriate protective equipment to protect those trees moving forward. And I think it's, it's always a, a good idea to supplement what you have there and to be able to have older trees that are on their way out while you're bringing newer trees up, it's just going to reinvest back in your place. And they always say the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. So, you know, good on you for getting after it and not just taking it for granted that you have apples there and just thinking that you don't have to worry about it. So planning ahead is always critical. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes for you and hear updates. Yeah, I'm excited to get them in the ground and especially these crab apples. I've been really after these varieties that hold their fruit well into the winter and supposedly that's that's what i'm getting so we'll see how that goes looking forward to getting those in the ground and also um i want to tell folks if you haven't listened to the last episode of the deer season 365 podcast that's our other nda podcast with brian grossman their last episode was very good uh, on summer food plots and he had ryan bassinger as a guest and so now is the time to be starting to think about that as well uh, so if you're doing food plotting 
now's the time if you're doing tree planting, especially in the north where it's still cold uh, and trees are still dormant in a lot of areas, now's the time. So there's a lot happening right now in this small window. And also, this is sort of breaking news, Mike. Ron Haas, friend of the show, is coming over here later today, and we're going to spend another day doing some tree cutting out there. So you got Ron hooked on working his magic in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, he's, he's a real, you know, he's a swamp guy in Delaware, right? Like he, to him, two feet is a mountain. So I think whenever we had him out here working in our mountains and cutting trees and seeing the, the free flowing rivers and all that. Yeah. It, I, th- I think it hooked him a little bit. So, which is good. That's a win for me because when he, anytime Ron says, Hey, I want to load up my chainsaws and come over and, and create some damage. I'm not going to say no to that. And on top of that, I've got, uh, there's uh, someone here locally that has been asking to come up and just sort of see what I'm doing. And he reached out to me, perfect timing, uh, just the other day and said, Hey, you want to touch base with you again about coming up? I said, well, this is perfect because I've got a real habitat expert going to be here this weekend with Ron coming over. And so it's going to be a chance to talk with him as well and show him some stuff. So going to be a nice habitat weekend here. So I'm looking forward to it. Good. The one thing I will say is it's the opening of trout season in Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that. But I don't feel like I'm really missing anything because I can either be standing there on that cold stream, and with snowflakes flying, or I can be out making trees fall. I think I'm I'm actually more excited at this stage in my life about the latter. Well, like you said, this is a very tight window right now, and a lot of habitat work and planning and preparation for the upcoming season gets done. And you know, trout season you can always slip out a day or two during the week and have some fun, wet a line and relax after you've gotten your work done. Yeah. Pick and pick and choose a nice day, which when you fly fish, we, we don't have to worry about opening day here. We have some areas just fly fishing only. You can fish anytime. So um, speaking of opening days, Turkey seasons, they're already open in, in a lot of areas. I'm seeing birds show up on my uh, social media feeds and, I got to tell you, Mike, I wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but we just got the call this week. The Delaware, the the Delaware, the governor of Delaware has come calling again. And he reached out to to Ron, who I just mentioned, and he wants to come back. He wants to come back for turkey hunting opening day. And so it looks like I'll have a chance to go out and call a turkey for the governor again. It's going to be hard to beat last year when we called a double, double long beards in and he got one. So I've set the bar really high. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should have just retired on top. That's a tough place to be because they're going to come in with expectations and you're going to have to deliver. So you better be breaking in those calls and putting some time in and getting ready to do your guiding. You can actually add guide to your resume now. Yeah. Well, we had a great time last year. This is governor John Carney. He's, he loves to hunt, but he's a, a governor, right? So you don't have all kinds of times. So literally he gets that one day and is, you know, my, of course, you know, people, people say, well, when you're doing that, you're not hunting yourself and a couple things on that. Number one. Yeah, that's true. And the, the easiest birds to get are always the ones right away. I feel like you get the dumb ones out of the way. Um, but the other part of it is turkey hunting. I've always, I've kind of taken, it's a little different to me. Like it's, if you're there and you're part of it, it doesn't really matter who pulls the trigger or who gets the bird. 
And so I had such a great time with him last year and just seeing the smile on his face and, uh, you know, just if we're not going to get into conversations about politicians and all that, but one thing about politicians we can all agree on is that they are constantly busy and doing, doing the public's work one way or another. And so they don't get a lot of opportunity. So that was sort of a really nice moment to be able to share that with him. And so if we can, if Ron and I can go out and do that again this year, uh, we're going to do it. So stay tuned for that. And speaking of, you said practicing and keeping your calls. It's the time of year where, all of my turkey calls are in my truck all the time because number one, uh, I know I can't get away with practicing in the house, at least not when anybody's here. Uh, and number two, if they're in my truck, then and when you're driving, that's a great time to pop a call in your mouth and, and be practicing. So I've been doing that for the past few weeks. I'm getting ready. How about you? Where are you at in your preparation? Actually, um, I actually got my prep yesterday driving because I was by myself because my wife and I actually drive to work together now. So oh, that would not be right. a, that would not be a good situation. I think we'd be divorced. So I can't practice in the house. I can't practice on my way to and from work. So now it's just going to have to be practicing when I'm uh, you know either alone, like I was yesterday for most of the day. And, um, you know, I might just have to just make a trip out to the woods and just kind of sit in the tailgate and, and run through some series and practice and get my ta- my tones good, my rhythm good, and uh, make sure all my calls are working. Do you find, this would be a good question for you, because I, I find that whenever I put the calls back in, and I'm breaking in some new diaphragm calls that I really like right out of the gate. They sound good to me anyway. I mean, I know that doesn't count for anything, but uh, anyway, I find that literally within just a couple minutes of running through my calls, I feel pretty good about it. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't want to say rusty, but I, I also don't feel like I'm starting from scratch every year. Do you kind of feel the same way? Oh, let me see. That's a, uh, that's a multi-tiered question for me. I'm a little bit different because I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for my calling and, you know, I used to call in contests and things like that. So for me, it is, um, it's multi-level. So basically I do a lot, not that everyone needs to know this, but I actually have a CD of actual like Turkey sounds. And um, so when I put my calls in initially, I can, I can make sounds that most people would realize and be pretty happy with. But then again, what my level of happy with sounds are, are a little bit different. So um, me, it's kind of like stages. Like I put them in, I can make sounds that sound, and you know, most people would think, Oh, that's pretty good. But then I keep working and I keep working at it because I need those calls to respond in the moment, just as I need them to, to perform. And so that takes a lot more work and a lot more practice and air control and, and just thought process of what you want to literally say, quote unquote, to birds. So, um, yeah, I can put them in and make noise and make it work, but to the level where I'm comfortable to hunt and be, we always talk about how confidence is king. Be confident that this is going to go the way that I want it to in those situations takes a lot, a lot more for me. Yep. No, I get what you're saying. And so, yeah, you're, I would describe you as being a technical turkey caller. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a good, I mean, I, I'm a fine caller. I can call turkeys. I've called a lot of them in, but I'm a, I'm a better turkey hunter than I am a caller. And what I mean by that is, my success comes more from like slugging it, slugging away and not giving up and just like going after it hard. And eventually you luck into one. That's kind of my, how my success is, but I'm not, I'm also not going to be that guy that gets in that real technical situation where I got to talk to a bird for two hours and, you know, talk them through 
you know, talk them into a whole bunch of bad ideas and decisions. I'm, I'm probably not that guy either. Uh, so that's probably why you and I, I think work pretty well together, but I'm looking forward to getting out here. I, I, I messed up though. I'm going to go to this uh, marketing and leadership summit that the national shooting sports foundation puts on. And it is in the second week of May, which was terrible planning on their part. Uh, if, if any of you are listening, but uh, anyway, so that's going to cut into the season a little bit, but I'm looking forward to, to getting out in and getting after it a little bit. So I assume you are as well. I am. It's always a nice time of year and, and we enjoy that. We always run around. It's, it's nice to be able to, you know, be with you face to face. We usually do these via zoom and, uh, but to be face to face and get back out in the woods, because to me, as, as I've gotten older, it's, it's more about the camaraderie and the memories and being able to, you know, bust your stones because, you know, I let you, work this bird that you had been grinding it out with so long and you went up missing him. Yeah. Okay. We, well, Hey, <laughs> and, and I, I'm, it's funny. Like, just like when I missed that buck in, in the winter in Delaware, cause I, I was, I've been working with, uh, I'm, I'm teaching myself final cut pro. Now I'm switching my video editing over. I'm almost a, totally an Apple guy now. And I don't mean to get on a tangent here and nobody probably cares about this, but uh, I was one of the things I picked as a short video to work on was when I missed that buck in Delaware because I was running cameras. And when the buck surprised me and showed up, I had the camera was on me the whole time. I never moved it to the deer. And so it got the whole thing. And so I was just laughing and making fun of myself because you know what missing. I, I could tell you in much more vivid detail about the times I missed something as opposed to times when I've had success. Right. Because that's what makes for the fun stories. That's what you can't take this stuff too seriously. And we don't. And so we certainly no. have a lot of laughs no. out there and, and we'll, I'm sure at some point this spring, Mike, we're going to go over to the state land there and have those turkeys make fools of us again, uh, for another year. And so, and we do it because we're gluttons for punishment. We just apparently like to get, you know, kicked around a little bit. Well, any type of any type of state bird or even sometimes private land birds, if they're smart enough, or I shouldn't use the term smart, but if they've been worked enough, they, they are a challenge and that's why we like it. All right. Well, I think we've done enough here today and I think we probably better get out of here before we get into some more stories, but anyway, Hey everybody, we really do appreciate you listening. We have fun doing this. We hope you have fun listening. Send us your ideas for stories. Send us your B team stories. I was sitting here thinking, it'd be cool to do a show just on B team stories because there's no shortage. <laughs> there you go. So if you have a good B team story, maybe we'll get you on the show and have you tell it. And I think the listeners will enjoy it. Hey, if you're not already a member, join the national deer association. As I said, we are a nonprofit. We rely on memberships, uh, podcast, use that as the promo code. Whenever you check out online at deerassociation.com, and you'll get $5 off It'll be $30 instead of 35. You can also sign up for our free newsletter. It comes out every Thursday. Check that out. My guess is you get that thing a few times. You're going to want to join because there's just a ton of great stuff. Matter of fact, when I got my most recent issue, I emailed Lindsay Thomas, our chief communications officer, and said, I love Thursdays because Thursday morning that thing shows up in my inbox. So I think you'll enjoy it too. Don't forget, ask NDA anything. Get those in for the next show, nick at dearassociation.com and we'll get your questions answered. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. <laughs>